Dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know? Come with me to Southside of Chicago. Hi, this is Jim Tomey, and the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Sox Podcast with Tanny and Herb. Hello, and welcome back to Locked On Sox. My name is Herb Lawrence. You can follow me on Twitter at Ecknerwall23, E C N E R W A L 23. Chris Tannehill is at Chris Tannehill, and the show is at Locked On Socks on Twitter and on Instagram. And thank you for making Locked On Socks your first listening, first listen every morning. Locked On Socks is free and available on all platforms, including Locked On Socks on YouTube. 312 566 8727 for your voice messages or Locked On Socks at gmail.com if you want to leave us an email. Without any further ado, it is Chris Tannehill. Chris, how are you doing? I'm fine. Uh, you know, you mentioned it was a little slip there, and you said the listening, and I know you're a big fan of, uh, of of Fonte and the Foreign Exchange. Did you ever go back and listen to Little Brother's first album, The the Listening? Did you ever go back and listen to that? I didn't. I, you know, I, I think I started there with the menstrual show. with. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. With the little brother, yeah. So if you go back, although be careful because I know they're trying to. It, it was a. It's a oh, bad. Yeah. It's a bad time for me to recommend a stream because I think they don't have like the rights to that catalog. They're trying to get the 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 rights from uh, for that album back from I think ABB was the label that they were on at the time. So maybe mm-hmm. maybe I'll just burn you a copy that way you're not uh, you know putting money in someone else's pocket. But uh, yeah, little brother, the listening uh, classic album right there. But. Uh, I got to ask you here, Herbie. We're, we got a special show today. We're going to go off the beaten path a little bit. It, it is a White Sox newsy show here, and uh, you'll, you guys will understand where I'm coming from in a second here. But I, I got to ask you, we're going to talk a lot about the Hall of Fame today, Herbie. And mm-hmm. I want to ask you, we were there, you and I, along with Brendan McCaffrey and my dad. It really, you know, it was one of the great trips uh, of my life. It was summer of 2014. We went to go see the induction of the great one. Number 35, Frank. Thomas. Thank you, Gene Honda. So my daughter had just been born uh, as part of a uh, of the negotiations leading up to uh, us having a child. I said, hey, if uh, we have a kid and it's born uh, this summer or in the spring, I have to be able to go to the Hall of Fame to see big Frank Thomas get inducted. And uh, my my wife's a solid woman of her word. She kept up her end of the bargain. And it was not easy for her uh, being back by herself with a daughter that was about three months old at the time. But it was one of the great trips uh, of my life because I got to spend it with you, Brendan, and of course my my father. So mm-hmm. it was a great time. So you know, I we had been to the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, and I, I want to ask you, you, you know, take your feelings from that weekend, put them aside because I know it was kind of a crazy weekend to be there. And an induction weekend is actually not the best time to go to the Hall of Fame if you've never been. I would go like sometime now. Actually, it's probably gorgeous up there. Get the uh, the fall colors there if you can still catch them. Up there mm-hmm. in upstate New York, but I, I want to ask you, you know, as a baseball fan, uh, how do you feel about the Hall of Fame? What are what do you think of when you think Hall of Fame? Do you have reverence for the Hall of Fame? Do you care about it one way or another? Just uh, honestly, here as a hardcore baseball fan, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame there in Cooperstown, New York? I think that the fact that writers 
vote for people to get into the Hall of Fame is ridiculous. And I I love writers. They're awesome. But they have a axe to grind versus some. Like the fact that Robbie Yalomar wasn't a first ballot Hall of Famer because they wanted to enact some type of punishment for spitting on an umpire. Shut up. You're not that important. The fact that Mario Rivera is the first unanimous guy in the history of the goddamn sport is ridiculous. He's it's not like he's not worthy, but there is many before that who are who are just as like Tony Gwynn. I think three people said no. It's, it's just dumb. <laughs> Fra- yeah. And Frank, you know, Ken Griffey Jr. You know what I mean? Yeah, like exactly. Ridiculous. Yeah. And then the, I think the next year, the year before Derek Jeter, one guy didn't vote for him. And everybody, <laughs> what were the captain for? He was one like there's somebody put out a thing like he was one of the worst defenders of all time. I think in uh, defensive run saved, he is probably one of the worst of all time, if not the worst. Did you see what so, Carlos Correa said this week? On uh, he was on some uh, some podcast. Yes. <laughs> he was saying that Derek Jeter shouldn't have won those gold gloves, and we were like, "Hey!" And our guy Carl tweeted out like the funniest video of Stephen A. Smith said, "Let's be nice. Let's be nice. You're not wrong, but let's be nice." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Yankees fans, if they feel a little salty. We'll welcome with open arms when the man signs the dotted line. Yeah, when he does. exactly. So, who? Do oh, you- yeah, the Hall of Fame. I and, you know, so many people left off. She was Joe Jackson, not in the Hall of Fame. I know he's suspended for life. He's dead. Let him in the Hall of Fame. Same thing with Pete Rose. It's a museum. People should be uh, voted in by their baseball exploits. Okay, so who should do the voting then? Their peers, uh, a combination of writers and peers and players and managers. Who should vote them in then? If the if the writers like, you're not saying the writers shouldn't vote them in, but the fact that it's it's a naturally flawed system because it's only the writers, correct? Yes. Okay. I think peers, people who played with them, or Hall of Famers themselves, they should vote people in. That's, like, yeah. that is the mark. I'm not saying that they're not qualified to do it as writers, but as a collective, they get together, they collude, they keep people off. The whole steroid era is going to be off the thing. But this year, they're going to vote in David Ortiz because they like him. He's smiley. He's happy. He's big poppy. God damn it. If you want to do the steroid (laughs) thing, hello, look at Minnesota and then look at Boston. Tell me. I know he's on the on the Mitchell report. You don't even need that Mitchell report to know that that man took steroids. Come on now. But you're going to vote him in because he's smiley. He's happy. And you like him. But, but, but other steroid dudes. Well, yeah, nah. Manny, his teammate, Manny Ramirez, was better than him. You know yes. what I mean? Like he's but he was a jag off. So he can't you can't vote him in. You know yeah, what I mean? Albert Bell <laughs> is not even thought of as a Hall of Famer. Look at the numbers. Yep. I mean, just that's why I think about the the Hall of Fame makes me mad because of the games that are played and also this 10 year thing stop it give me one year like if we get if you're a hall of famer you're a hall of famer like you're not gonna get an extra hit now if you can go to a select committee after it but this every year you get what is a five year or 15 year thing now or five or 10 or 15 year uh hall of fame uh ballot as long as you stay above five percent right no you're either a Hall of Famer or you're not. And if you're out of that list, you can go to the Veterans Committee. You go past that. But 
what's changing? Nothing. You're somebody's just convincing you that this guy is worthy of the Hall of Fame. Why? Why do you need to be convinced? It's one of your jobs is to vote these guys in, yay or nay. Next year won't change. Manny Ramirez is not going to hit another home run. These guys are solid. No one's going to get another save after five years. They're done. Yeah, and is a lot of this too tied into just the, uh, you know, I, I can't think of a, of a politically correct f- way to phrase it or a nice way to, you know, just the sucking up to the writers after your career is over and being nice and making up for lost time, you know, to kind of get back in their good graces. Like a lot of that mm-hmm. stuff's kind of gross too, you know what I mean? Um, but nonetheless, you know, I agree with you that the Hall of Fame is – it's a museum. That's the way I, I feel about it. You know, I don't have any sort of special reverence for it other than I really had a good ass time when we went and I and mm-hmm. I love baseball history uh, first and foremost. Like I don't care about the exclusivity of it. Uh, I love the fact that there is you know my favorite part about the Hall of Fame was not even necessarily the plaques of the players that were in it. Uh, that was pretty cool, you know, just mm-hmm. walking and seeing and managing, you know, thinking all the classes throughout the years, but my favorite thing about the hall of fame were things that were in the hall of fame like seeing the white Sox things that were in the hall of fame from you know burley's perfect game and numbers perfect game and just little things like that little things from history that kind of connect you to the past that's what it's all about like you're trying to connect people that are fans of the game to the history of the game and i think that's what it's about it's a museum like you said it's not the major league baseball hall of fame it's the national baseball hall of fame and museum that's exactly what it is so i don't really have any reverence and I don't, I don't feel like I need to be a gatekeeper. By the way, you mentioned writers and how vindictive they can be. Um, go back and listen. About a year ago, we did an episode. I think it was a two-part episode with Joe Cowley, who covered mm-hmm. the White Sox for a long time for the, for the South Town and the Sun-Times. And he sort of talked about what it was like being a, a writer with the Hall of Fame vote. We talked about Mark Burley's candidacy. It was really good stuff from our guy Joe, one of my favorite shows we, we, we've ever done. Go mm-hmm. back and listen to that one. Um, but yeah, I, I see it just as that. It's, it's a museum. It's a place for baseball fans to go and just be connected. Like you go in there and you see Babe Ruth's uniform, the one that he actually wore standing in the, the pose of his, like in his final speech in Yankee Stadium. You see that. You see, man, you, you see Jackie Robinson's jersey that he actually wore. And we saw that uh, in the, uh, the Negro Leagues Museum as well, you know, his jersey there. Um, you know, but just seeing those things from history that 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 makes you feel closer to it. That's why I love the Hall of Fame, not for any exclusive thing about who's in and who's not. And my guy's a first ballot guy, and your favorite player's not. So you know, I'm better than you. I don't miss me with all that shit. You know, I, I don't care for all that. You know, and just the vindictive nature of the writers and all that. But I, I as a baseball fan, I liked it. I'm, I plan on going back there. And, and enjoying it when it's not an induction weekend so I have more time to really roam around and really enjoy a lot of this stuff even more because I think uh, with context and as time has gone on, I, I will enjoy the stuff even more than I did at the time. So I, I say that because the Hall of Fame has announced that there's gonna have, uh, they're going to have uh, 10-person ballots that are going to be considered uh, early baseball era committee and then they're going to have a Golden Days era committee for Hall of Fame election for the class of 2022. And that vote is going to take place on December 5th, Sunday night. It's going to be on MLB Network. And, as, and the, the Golden Days era has uh, quite a few members here, and it's got some uh, White Sox representation. You've got Dick Allen, who I think people like. Here's the thing about the Hall of Fame also is like as we get more advanced data, 
and we can put things into context a little bit better. It's not just anecdotal evidence about what I saw at the time versus this guy and that guy. No, we have some data now that kind of informs these writers' decisions a little bit better, and you can kind of put them in historical context with, with the other greats of the game, and it, and it makes you look at guys a little bit differently. Like Dick Allen's going to be on this ballot. Uh, former white. These are all former White Sox in one way, shape, or form. Uh, Ken Boyer, Jim Cott, Billy Pierce, who I really didn't know was that damn good until – we started doing this show together. The early shows were, were titled after the jersey numbers of the episode number, uh, you know, jersey numbers of the White Sox players that wore them. And when we did number 16, uh, Billy Pierce, I think it was, or no, it was 16th headline, 19 Billy Pierce. Mm -hmm. uh, we did episode 19, and I looked at Billy Pierce's numbers in comparison to the guys of his era. I was like, damn, Billy Pierce was really damn good. Like, he was right up there with Whitey Ford. Uh, and you know, and he faced those really tough Yankees teams of the the fifties and sixties, and that was a tough competition right there. And he held his own. So I'm glad he's on this ballot. But there's one man that's on this ballot that we're going to talk about today, and we don't usually do these Hall of Fame shows, but there's a unique case to be made for this Hall of Fame ballot. And a White Sox great. His number's already retired, but we're going to dig deep into Minnie Minoso's Hall of Fame candidacy next here on Locked On White Sox. Locked on White Sox is brought to you by our friends at Built Bar. Built Bar, it's the best tasting protein bar ever. You know, I love Thanksgiving, all the good food and treats and plenty of them, but maybe you want a yummy dessert, but isn't so full of calories and sugar. I can hear that this time of year. It's always a problematic time for your guy here with the bad snacks. Well, it's the perfect time for Built Bars. Built Bar is the new holiday dessert. Feast on something delicious and feel good about it. For example, one slice of pie has upwards of 300 calories, and that's on the low end, folks. Most Built Bars are only 130 calories and only 4 grams of sugar with plenty of protein. Replace the coconut cream pie with coconut Built Bar, or go for a raspberry Built Bar instead of that raspberry pie. Lots of good flavors to replace any pie. Built Bars are low-calorie, low-carb, low-fat, and high-protein. And as always, they are covered in 100% real chocolate built is a great option for when you're hungry if thanksgiving isn't coming soon enough go for a built bar or two share some at your family gatherings it will make things a bit less awkward maybe aunt betty hasn't tried a built bar yet I know I've turned some of my family members on a Built Bar, and you can do the same. And new surprises all month. Limited time flavors arriving at Built.com regularly. So check the site often and sign up for those text alerts like I did. There's nothing like a Built Bar Black Friday. So mark your calendar, folks. Black Friday will be a huge event with all sorts of surprises. Go to Built.com, use our promo code LOCK15, and you'll get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. Mini Minoso. Okay, this guy, uh, number nine for the White Sox. He's the Cuban Comet, uh, left fielder and third baseman. And he's going to be on this ballot. And this guy is an important player in the history of, of not only the White Sox, but Major League Baseball. He's the first Afro-Cuban player in the Major Leagues. And he's the first player of color in White Sox history. Okay, so we know also now that because of the Hall of Fame and what they're doing to open up the numbers a little bit, they're opening up the books and they're expanding the numbers and stats to what these guys did in the Negro Leagues, okay, which is, which is huge because for so many years it was almost an afterthought. And it, during Minnie Minoso's first round on the ballot, I believe in, in 1970, he was taken off the ballot uh, or he missed out on his opportunity to get his proper votes. And then the year after that they, they decided, hey, we're actually going to start looking – more closely 
at some of these Negro League numbers and try to put that in a historical context. But now we actually have the data and the numbers to help these guys, the writers, inform their decision a little bit. So I think that's kind of changed the way we've, we see a lot of these players who are on these ballots now, and, and Minnie Minoso is, uh, is, is a prime candidate for a guy who I think deserves a little bit uh, of a closer look for the Hall of Fame here. Um, what did Minnie Minoso mean to the Latin baseball community? Okay, uh, Jose mm-hmm. Contreras... Of course, Cuban came over here uh, before the embargo. You know, had to endure all the the, the awful things that that someone fleeing that that country at that time had to endure. And of course, he wins a World Series with the White Sox in 2005, one of the more dominant runs you will ever see from a starting pitcher. He had in 05 and early 06. But Jose Contreras was on a conference call this week, along with Bob Kendrick of the Negro League Baseball Museum and Eduardo Perez, whose whose father was Tony Perez, a Hall of Famer. Eduardo Perez also does ESPN uh, baseball, and he's one of the great analysts there. And a lot of people say that he is possibly in the running to be one of the next great GMs in all of baseball. Uh, but Jose Contreras, they were on a, they were all on a conference call with the White Sox earlier this week. Jose Contreras was asked, and this is along with uh, his interpreter Billy Russo, who is Mini Minoso, and, and what did he mean to the Latin baseball community? And here's what Jose Contreras said, and uh, here's Billy Russo as well. En el baseball por, por Cuba, por los latinos. Es como yo digo, Mini es el Jackie Robinson de nosotros. You know, Mini was over Jackie Robinson. You know, to me, I remember the first time that I uh, got into the White Sox clubhouse, and Mini was there. It was like, wow, Mini's here. Uh, to me, Mini was a legend, uh, you know, he was one of the reasons uh, I started playing baseball when I, when I was a kid, and and I, you know, people talk about talk about Mini. It was like a wow, you know, I, I to me it was like a I, I want to be like him. And then uh, when I have the chance to meet him here, it, it was it was uh, incredible. And uh, like I said, he was uh, he was one of our best representative, and. Uh, yeah, he, our Jackie Robinson, he was our Jackie Robinson. Our Jackie Robinson, uh, Mini Minoso was to the Cuban baseball community and, and the Latin baseball community as well, I, I think. Uh, you know, Jose Contreras was born in 1971, so well after Mini Minoso was in his prime, but you could tell his lasting effect in, in, his, in his presence on that community w- was well felt. And you know, you heard... You know, Jose Abreu talking about Mini Minoso when he came here. And it's just, he's like the godfather of Cuban baseball and he's a really important figure, right? So you put that in historical context. You know, we, we know now what these guys had to endure playing in the Negro Leagues, breaking color barriers and, and things like that. So you know about that now a little bit more than we knew years ago. So mm-hmm. keep that in mind when, when, you, when I read some of these numbers off. And I'm, I'm not going to base this argument strictly on numbers, but... We're trying to educate and inform you guys a little bit here, and you guys can make the decision on your own if you think Minnie Minosa is a Hall of Famer. But check out some of these numbers, Herb. So a 299 career average, just 195 home runs, but uh, 1,093 career RBIs. But Minnie had a career on base of 387 and 2,100 uh, total hits in his career. Uh, of course, playing over five different decades in Major League Baseball. That's just Major League Baseball spanning from 1949 to 1980. Now, that's a long time, but if you remember, the White Sox were trying to go all in on this effort to get Minnie in, in each of these decades. Like he had uh, an at-bat in the 70s when he was well you know, uh, retired, and then he had that one in 1980, which we talked about not too long ago. 
that was, I think it was Ed Farmer's last save in a ball game uh, for the White Sox in 1980. That was the same game that Minnie Minoso had a pinch hit. I believe he fouled out in that game, but they wanted to get him in to the decade of the 1980s, and they were able to do so. It was late in the year. It didn't matter. I mean, technically they didn't, but yeah, they, they're going to go with that. <laughs> what? Technically what? Because um, the 80s started in 1981. Oh, that's right. Okay. <laughs> Because well, you don't count, you don't count zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Well, I saw a video of Minnie Minoso throwing out the first pitch at the last game of Old Comiskey Park in 1990. He could have gone out there; he would have been all right. He could have, you could have had him out there for for one at bat. Uh, but so he was a two time All Star in the Negro Leagues before he even got to the major leagues for the New York Cubans, where they won a World Championship in the Negro Leagues. Uh, he actually uh, appeared in uh, several All-Star games. Uh, actually, at, remember we did the episode about Rube Foster and how mm-hmm. Old Comiskey Park was like the, um, the, the centralized location for the Negro League All-Star game. Like that's where the East-West game came into fruition and, you know, these great players all met. So Manny Minoso plays in Comiskey Park before he's actually a White Sox. So uh, he makes his debut with the Indians in 1949 where he was an All-Star there as well. He finished second in Rookie of the Year that year. And he was even fourth in the American League MVP voting behind Yogi Berra, who won it all. Uh, but Minnie finished ahead of guys like Bob Feller, Phil Rizzuto, and future teammate uh, Nellie Fox, and even finished ahead of Ted Williams that year. So a pretty good uh, rookie season for Minnie Minoso. Uh, eventually he was traded to the White Sox in 1951, where he plays in 12 seasons. And he was a five-time All-Star and in 1954. Check it out, Herbie. He had 18 triples in 1954. That's a lot of triples, man. And Bruce was on this conference call, Bruce Levine, and he was trying to articulate the point of what the old dimensions for the old Comiskey Park were and how it was just a terrible place if you were a power hitter. And people said at the time, anecdotally, that Minoso had a lot of power. And they said that the the lines were like 370 down the lines (laughs) at old Comiskey. And it was like they, they said it was like, 400 to dead center but it was more like 410 like in the power alleys like they said the measurements were not accurate but you don't this reason why it took them so long to get a a home run king there you know until dick allen did it in 1972 i believe it was or not dick allen uh, bill melton does it Mm -hmm. but both of those guys had uh, awesome years for the south side hitmen so it took them a long time uh to finally get some real power in that building and i think Minnie minoso was one of the early victims of that uh, so Minnie was traded to the Sox in, in 1951. He appears in 12 seasons, like I said. And uh, in 1956, he gets an on-base percentage of 425 in 1956. Mm-hmm. Um, in 54, though, he led the American League in total bases with 304, leads the AL in hits in 1960 with 184, where he also played in and each each and every game he plays in in uh, that season of 1960. Uh, he was traded back to the Indians for two seasons, so he was not on that 1959 Go-Go White Sox pennant-winning team, but a lot of people said that he was like a big part of the character of the White Sox team of that era. So it's kind of weird. He goes back and forth from the Sox to the Indians. And I, I would imagine, Herb, if we were – uh, we'd be talking about the Sox not having such a long championship drought maybe if Minnie Minoso was on that team in 59. It could, could be nothing, could be just speculating, but I think they could have used a player of that caliber in, 19, mm-hmm. in 1959. So he returns to the Sox the year after, 1960. Uh, he finishes fourth in MVP voting once again behind Roger Maris, Mickey Mantle, and Brooks Robinson. So that's a pretty good company right there. And uh, funny, uh, ironically enough, he finishes ahead of our guy Moose Scourin that year as well in the AL MVP. <laughs> so I thought that, that was a funny note as well. Um, 
but if you if you if you want to know more about war, right? Like, you know, where does Mini rank in terms of you know mm-hmm. wins above replacement? Um, he led the league twice in wins above replacement, and he was consistently in the top ten. He was basically always each and every season playing every game, and he was a, a top ten player. Uh, or at least a top five player in almost every season that that he that he was out there because of what he did defensively as well. He's a great speed player who had power, and he was a really really good defender. You can go back and, and see his uh, defensive ratings as well if you want to take a deep dive. But uh, number nine gets retired in 1983 by the White Sox, and he'd be known as Mr. White Sox pretty much for, for from then on out. Okay, so. Um, that's where we're at. We're, we're, we're trying to make the case here. Now, the numbers I laid out, some of them are more impressive than others, mm-hmm. but this, this stat was tweeted out by the White Sox. When you add together Minnie's major league hits, 1,963, his minor league hits, 429, his Cuban league hits, 838, his Mexican league hits, 75, and Negro league hits, at least 128 that were documented. Those records are still incomplete, by the way, the Negro league records, so they're still trying to parse through all that. Um, because of the different ways that they played in terms of barnstorming, and there's just mm-hmm. there's no way you can keep an accurate record of all that stuff. So if you combine all the hits from all his professional levels, uh, Minnie Minoso ended his career with 4,073 professional hits in baseball, and that's pretty damn amazing. Indeed, it is. And Minnie, on his own, like just the numbers you just read off, should get him in. Like that's he's. If you're just looking at war, and I'm using B war here, so uh, baseball references, he's 18th in the history of baseball as far as left fielders go. Guy who's right behind him, 21st, Ralph Kiner, is a Hall of Famer. 23rd is Joe Kelly, not the pitcher from the Dodgers, but a different guy. <laughs> he's a Hall of Famer. So he's worthy. His numbers by themselves, just his major league numbers by themselves get him into the Hall of Fame. But you spoke on it earlier, and uh, Jose Contreras spoke on it. Same thing with Abreu. Why the White Sox have four Cubans starting in their uh, on their team in 2021? Why they're getting more? Why a person like Jose Contreras, who's a dark-skinned, black, Cuban, can look up to Minnie Minosa, who's a dark-skinned, black, Cuban, like that, I don't think people realize how powerful that is. Like to see a man that is like you in a country that might have some colorism problems. And through the Dominican and Cuban, it's always thought of light is right and it's better. If you're dark, you got something extra in you. In Dominican, it's more you're you're not as good. You might be Haitian. You're not a you're not as pure. In Cuba, I'm not exactly sure if it's the same dynamic, but to see a man succeed who's of your same complexion, it had to do wonders for people who are of uh, Afro-Cuban descent, even Afro-Puerto Rican, Afro-Dominican descent. That is, you've seen yourself represented in the major leagues at a high level. Like he just said, Jackie Robinson, no disrespect to Jose Contreras, he said, Minnie Minoso's my Jackie Robinson. That's the guy I look at to say, that's the guy who broke the color bear for my type of people. And for that, for that uh, kind of impact on Major League Baseball and the people who followed, that alone should get him in the game. That alone should get him in the Hall of Fame. Like, he is a transcendent 
person. And the fact that I mean, I know you met him and we've said it multiple times. I met him, too, at Sluggers many times. He was there all the time. You met him uh, at the Jewel. Yeah. He shopped so, there all the time. Yeah. So I worked at the Jewel on 3531 Broadway, right by Wrigley Field. So it was by Lakeshore Drive. That was my job through high school and a little bit after, right before I got to the, to the score. And I was working there. And the, the day that I got hired to be a part-time overnight board op at the score, I quit my job at the Jewel. Uh, that was kind of silly. I should have held on to it because that was back when the Jewel still offered good benefits to people who were just part-timers. But mm-hmm. Minnie was one of our customers. Bill Melton was our customer too. But being on Lakeshore Drive, you get a lot of pseudo-famous people there. So Minnie would roll in. Minnie pushed the Cadillac with Minoso 9 on the license <laughs> plate. You know, Minnie would like to know that you know who he was. Like he had the cap. Mini Minoso, you know, literally on his hat. Uh, my my mom worked also with the same jewel, and she worked in the customer service uh, station department or whatever. And uh, he would sign his his credit card receipts, uh, the great <laughs> Mini Minoso. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the guy had a swag about him. He just, you know, he, he was just he was the man, dude. That's all I'll say about Mini. But I I worked in the grocery department. That's the department that stocks the shelves and stuff. And when Mini would roll in, I would kind of low key, just kind of like, you know low-key stock them in the grocery store like when i was stocking shelves just you know kind of say all right wonder if many needs any help today because i would love to just be in this man's presence for a little bit because when you saw him you know he was you could tell he was already up there in age but like still getting around pretty damn good and you just you you look at him you're like man i wonder all the shit that this guy's been through like the ups and the downs that you think about man this guy you know he's been part of some of the great white Sox moments and you know just he's he's mr white Sox. you know that you grow up as a Sox fan knowing that but you don't really know much about it i really didn't do a deep dive into his stats until recent years and you could follow there's a lot of great content uh for uh mini getting into the hall of fame at mini or excuse me at minoso 9 hof uh, hashtag mini hof on twitter you can find more stats and stuff like that that kind of build Minnie's case for the hall of fame but yeah he was just the man and i would like to occasionally help him out uh try to find stuff in the grocery store like he'd ask where something was and i'd walk him over to it and that wasn't they wanted us to walk every customer to the item they asked for but realistically we weren't doing that every time but with Minnie, mm-hmm. I, was, I was thrilled to do so and i would occasionally ask him about the Sox team of that year it was i was there mostly uh, and throughout, you know, 03, 04, 05, you know, so I would always ask him, oh, how do you think they're going to do today? Or how about that game last night? And it was always, a, you know, cordial, fun, short conversation, like in a little bit of a language barrier. You had the thick accent, but it was just an, an honor to be in his presence in that setting. It's something I never thought I would be in, uh, being among White Sox greatness there. But then as the years go on, you realize, oh, this guy is baseball greatness, you know, not just White Sox greatness. And I remember in 1993, a funny story, I uh, went to that pep rally for the AL West champion White Sox. They're down in Daly Plaza. They did a pep rally. Um, I don't even recall. I think players may have been there. I don't remember too much about it, but what I do remember is the stuff that does matter. My mom pulled me out of school that day so we can go down there together. So we went down the Daly Plaza together. Minnie Minosa was there as part of the White Sox contingent, signing autographs like he had signed a poster for me, which I had for a really long time, but that was really cool. That was one of my first autographs that I ever got on my own so I thought that was cool as hell but another funny thing about that is so the next day I go to school in fifth grade um that was back when you're trying to teach kids of that age 10 years old about you know world events and stuff so there was a big stack of newspapers uh in in my teacher's class and we're lining up to leave that day and someone's like 
hey, Chris, isn't that you in the newspaper right there? <laughs> There's my picture from the pep rally, the White Sox pep rally, as Damn. clear as day, full color, and my, they blew up my spot, but my teacher was totally cool about it. And, uh, you, know, she, you know, she was actually a White Sox fan herself. So she told me, like, oh, I'll, I'll overlook it. She thought that was pretty cool or whatever, and no one thought anything of it. And then when I went to the playoffs that year, she used to collect these, the troll dolls, you know, if so, we, I got her a little White Sox troll doll for her to put on her desk as a, like, hey, thanks for looking the other way on that one, even though it's not a big deal. Uh, but yeah, that, that was another funny Minnie Minoso related story. So did anyone grow up in a Chicago baseball fan, especially if you're our age, Herb and I's age, like late thirties, you probably had an encounter with Minnie uh, along the way. And you know, he was just a really pleasant guy. Uh, my mom used to say like, he'd come down the escalator. Uh, at the old jewel and be like hello darling how are you to anyone who was down there just like this <laughs> smoothest old cat you ever want to meet so uh, he's you know got a, a piece of my heart and any White Sox fan who's ever met him uh, they can say the same so this is kind of feels personal like you know there's a lot of former White Sox players on this ballot but we're not here to talk about them today anyway we just wanted to, to show Minnie some love and after a quick time out we've got more on what Minnie Minoso meant and whose lives he affected impacts he made on the game the great bob kendrick of the negro league baseball museum has more and we'll hear from eduardo perez next here on locked on white Sox. locked on white Sox is brought to you by our friends at bet online they're back and better than ever with a new web interface for the start of basketball season and more props odds and lines than ever before bet online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season taking a look at the early lines for the bears and ravens this sunday afternoon on the lakefront right now the bears opening at six and a half point dogs to baltimore at home it's a pretty big number maybe you like that maybe you think it's too much maybe you think it's not enough head over to bet online and make your play right now the over under sitting at 45 and a half if you head to the new updated desktop or mobile website, sign up today and you'll receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, baseball futures, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. Bob Kendrick, who you know, one of the great storytellers in uh, in our game, and he runs. He's the president of the national, uh, the uh, Negro League Baseball Museum in Kansas City. And if you've never been, we've mentioned it on the show plenty of times before. But you should go there next time you're in Kansas City. It's right down the street from Arthur Bryant's Barbecue, so you can you know hit hit up both of those things. But the Negro League Baseball Museum, I'm sure it's even improved over the years with the increased funding because of uh, the great fundraising efforts from Bob and, and other people. Uh, you know, Adam Jones was, was a big in getting to some funds injected into that facility there. But it's a, it's a beautiful place filled with history. Um, but Bob Kendrick is one of the great storytellers, one of the great orators in all of baseball. And he knew Minnie personally because of Minnie's time in the Negro Leagues. And, and he had him in, there at the museum many times. And I'm sure he was there every time the White Sox would make their trips to the museum when they were in Kansas City. Kenny Williams, who I think we'll talk about here pr probably soon in, in one of the coming episodes, but he made it a point to bring all the players to the Negro League Baseball Museum so they could understand the history a little bit better. And Bob Kendrick was sort of just asked, like, okay, well, what kind of player what, what was Minnie, and why was he so important? And here's a guy who, uh, through stories he was told, through talking to the man himself, here's Bob Kendrick uh, just talking about Minnie Minoso and who he was as a player and as a person. Minnie put the goal in the go-go White Sox. You know, he brought that brash and daring style that was signature to a Negro Leagues baseball. And he was this guy, beautiful ball player, as, as Monty Irvin would say, 
you know, who just electrified, you know, and, 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 and so it has been frustrating to some degree to see people come up with what I thought were just illegitimate reasons to keep many out of the, the baseball hall of fame. This should have happened when he was still with us, you know, and I know how much it meant to him, you know, he, he wanted to be a Hall of Famer. He deserved to be a Hall of Famer. And I'm just happy now that perhaps the addition of those years, those couple of years that he spent in the Negro Leagues, if you're looking at numbers, for those who need numbers, we, uh, you know, as we've all kind of said, numbers will never define Minnie Minoso. But for those who need numbers, the numbers will likely increase in his favor, you know, because of the time that he spent in the Negro Leagues. It's frustrating. I was frustrated with the 06 group because I thought they had a chance to do it and, and he was still alive. Now, prior to that, I have no idea why they had year after, you know, or time after time looked at many and said that he wasn't worthy of being in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I just think we have a chance to get it right this time. And, and again, we're, we're here as an institution to continually try to educate people about these legendary ball players and those who built the bridge, you know, and, and many was one of those bridge builders. You know, I think you've heard Eduardo mention it. You heard Jose mention it. You mention it, you know, even in your question to me. And those who become bridge builders in our society have a very special place. And, and many Minoso did that. And, and he didn't just do it for those who were there, who got a chance to enjoy him there in Chicago uh, on the field and off the field. But he, as you can tell, attest, he did it for legions of others who he inspired. And, and I, I think that is exemplary of what a Hall of Famer is all about. I can listen to Bob talk about baseball and baseball players all day long. Maybe we'll talk to him in the future here. But I think that's a pretty good – that sums up pretty well uh, the, the history of Minnie being on the ballot and, and how he was kind of done wrong in years past. But it doesn't mean it, it's, uh, it's too late to make things right. And hopefully on December 5th uh, they will do – just that. But Herb, you mentioned some of the stats earlier. I know a lot of just one of the things you do when you look up a, a you know, a Hall of Fame player, if you're trying to see if a player is Hall of Fame worthy, you look up those uh, those similarity stats, right? Like that's mm -hmm. like the first thing we go to, which is a flawed system. Um, but if you go to those stats, um, there's one player uh, that's similar to Minnie Minoso that's in the Hall of Fame, and that's uh, the late Kirby Puckett. So Kirby Puckett, there's precedent there. And the number one similarity score is uh, Ken Griffey Sr. to Minnie Minoso. So it's not always the be-all, end-all, but the fact that there is a, a common link there and there is a Hall of Famer I think is favorable. And actually Minnie had a, a higher career war than Kirby Puckett did. So I think that's favorable uh, as well. Uh, one last thing before we're uh, out of here. We didn't have time to get to a lot of things I wanted to get to today here. Uh, but Eduardo Perez was on this conference call as well. And his dad is Tony Perez, who was on the big red machine teams, the Cincinnati Reds teams of the 70s, and he's a Hall of Famer himself. And also another one of these uh, Cuban baseball figures who was just, you know, I believe he was the, the, the first uh, Cuban Hall of Famer, I believe. But uh, Eduardo Perez was talking about uh, Minnie Minoso and, and what he means to uh, Latin baseball culture and particularly uh, Cuban baseball culture. Here's, here's Eduardo Perez uh, talking about Minnie Minoso. The reality for, for us is, and, and Bob, you mentioned it, if it's Tony Oliva, if it's, if, if it's Buck, if it's Minnie, um, 
you know, we, we take so much pride in who these players were, but we're talking about many right now and Minnie's numbers, looking at them in the strength of his years belongs in the hall of fame, the war 53.8 belongs in the hall of fame. There are hall of famers that have less than that. We're looking at the new numbers. If we're looking at the analytics, as far as on base percentage and OPS, those numbers also belong. But most importantly, the player himself making the organization better, to me, is what it's all about, a winning atmosphere, a winning environment. Mini Minoso belongs in the Hall of Fame because of all those little things that he did to make his teammates better during the time. And to speak of off the field, I think we've covered a lot of that. But off the field, even though those numbers were really were great on the field, He was a greater ambassador of the game off the field, not only in Chicago, not only all around the United States, in Cuba, also in Mexico. Mini Minoso, to me, is a Hall of Famer. And I think that nails it right there. I mean, we need to reexamine what does Hall of Fame actually mean, bringing it home to what we first opened up the show talking about. I think it's time to reevaluate what the Hall of Fame represents to baseball fans and writers and everyone who has a part in it. Uh, it's not the MLB Hall of Fame. It's the National Baseball Hall of Fame. It's not accumulation of numbers. It's more than that. It's a place where you honor the best of the best, um, the ambassadors of the game. Um, it's ultimately just a museum, though, and I mean that in a good way. Uh, it's a place that recognizes and acknowledges history, uh, the rights and wrongs, uh, the good and the bad, and for better or for worse. You know, it, it's it's a place where you can go and really absorb everything that's happened in the game. That's uh, you know almost uh, you know older than the country itself. It seems. Um, but Minnie was a candidate that's, uh, you know, sort of a game-changing ambassador for his team, his country, and his sport, and ultimately I think is a, a, a favorable and a positive influence on future generations. And, you know, I think you heard our case today. Uh, without a doubt, Minnie Minoso checks all those boxes, if, if those are boxes that, that you hold in high regard and you think that's what the Baseball Hall of Fame should represent. Or maybe you don't. Maybe you just think it should be the best of the best players, and that's that, and don't tell any of the stories. I don't want to hear any of the extra stuff. Maybe you, you feel that way. Uh, but if you don't, I think you would agree, Herb, uh, that Minnie Minoso should be a Hall of Famer, and I think on December 5th, I think he will be. And it'll be a glorious day. I think so also. Uh, long overdue, and posh- posthumously, he'll get his final uh, legacy like cemented. Being a Hall of Famer, I know his son is big into it. Uh, Shakia Taylor, I think, wrote a piece about Minimanosis candidacy, I think, back in June. So seek that out. Um, Summer 54 beer. Go get yourself a Summer 54 beer from our guys at Haymarket, our guy Jay, which Summer 54 symbolizes the summer that Ernie Banks and Minimanoso forged a bond and a friendship through Chicago is. baseball. So go have one of those uh, and, and have one like uh, in, in good faith. And then have one again on December 5th and 6th uh, when ultimately he gets in. And that'll be a great day because it's not because we're White Sox fans. It's because the guy deserves it. And he deserved it a long time ago. But we're making a right, a wrong right right now with Minnie Minoso. I'm going to call it. He's going in. Let's do it.
Put him in the hall. Put him in the hall of fame, as Chuck Swirsky <laughs> says. Chuck Swirsky's doing it, too. <laughs> exactly. So uh, that's all we got today, and uh, thank you for listening to this history lesson. I know a lot of you young cats maybe didn't really know, and you, you, you just look at a box score, you look at baseball reference, you're like, eh, this is not too impressive. But hopefully we put things in historical context. I think context matters with everything in life, not just baseball. Uh, so that's all I got today, Herbie. Uh, good, good, good thoughts for Minnie going into the weekend here. We'll be back Monday with the hopefully – uh, a huge free agent signing by the White Sox. We're hoping, folks, but uh, no. don't hold your breath. But we'll be back on Monday. Yes, we will be. Uh, that is Chris at Chris Tannehill. Me, Herb Lawrence, Ecknerwall23. The show is at Locked On Socks on Twitter and Instagram. Locked On Socks is available, free and available on all platforms, including Locked On Socks on YouTube. So for Chris, my name's Herb. Get Minnie Minosa in the goddamn Hall of Fame on Locked On Socks.